This episode of the Disney Film Project is sponsored by TouringPlans.com. Head over to TouringPlans.com and use their tools to save yourself time and money when you are at Walt Disney World or Disneyland. You can use the Lines application on your mobile phone, use the Crowd Calendar to figure out which parks to hit which days, or use the Touring Plans to save time and money waiting in line. TouringPlans.com is the sponsor of this episode of the Disney Film Project. again everybody to the disney film project podcast yes it's the show where we talk about the films of the walt disney company from the earliest feature films to the latest feature films and all the animated films and all the live action films and all the claymation films and you you never know what else we could talk about um we we love ourselves some disney films here on the disney film project podcast i'm ryan kilpatrick host of the program and along with these folks we run disneyfilmproject.com where you can find the films of the walt disney company reviewed in excruciating detail from the very beginning all the way up until well today because we review the most current films out on blu-ray you can find those reviews there you can find show notes for the podcast all kinds of fantastic information if you just go over to disneyfilmproject.com so all of you um Go ahead. We'll wait. All right. See, now see what great information was there. It wasn't that fantastic. So make sure you all head over to DisneyFilmProject.com on a regular basis and stay in touch with us there. Of course, I am joined, as always, by the fine film buffs who uh, are world-renowned and went through the painful nouning process before they could then be renowned. First of all, we have Mr. Todd Perlmutter, who is the Chief Technical Officer at DisneyDrivenLife.com, works at OnTheGo in MCO.com, and I believe invented uh, the Canon technology used in today's film. Um, yes, well, you know, it's, it's firework-based, same concept. You know how that goes. Yeah, well, in fact, that's why you moved to Florida, is to, is to pioneer this, this technology. Yes, and I like dragon heads. I'm letting that one go. Um, all right. So our other person joining us in the filmic expert role is Miss Brianna Alessio, who you can find at Adventures of Brie, adventuresofbrie.blogspot.com. How are you this evening, Brie? I am doing fantastic. How about yourself? Uh, equally fantastic, Kano. Very good. Happy to be Thank you. All right, and of course we have our fine producer, Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, who you can find on Twitter at CherylP3 or at about.me slash CherylP3. You can also find her on occasion over at OnTheGo in MCO.com. She is the person who edits this together, uh, makes sense of our inane ramblings, and makes some semblance of coherence from uh, the crazy utterances that exit Bree and Todd and I while we talk about our favorite films. So how are you this evening, Miss Cheryl? I'm doing good. I'm so glad to hear it. Uh, and we, we will keep it short so that you and, and the Todd can go off and have some coffee uh, and stay up until the wee hours of the morning, as you are about to do. No, I just want to make it short because the last editing was a lot. <laughs> well, we do tend to talk quite a bit. It's kind of Some, a thing. Sometimes, yes. Sometimes, yeah. not so much. Yeah, true. All right, so today we discuss the 1998 Disney animated feature Mulan, which was their main film uh, of the animated persuasion for that year. It was the first film produced at the Disney MGM Studios in, in Florida, so just down the street from the Pearl Mutter fa- family. 
Uh, it was spawned several other films to come from that studio, which we will discuss eventually on this show. Uh, but Mulan was the first, and it was quite successful. Over $300 million uh, in, the, in the box office, uh, Golden Globe and Academy Award nominations. Not, not best film uh, for Academy Award, but or best picture, I should say. I've never understood that, by the way. Time out. Best picture versus best film. Like, it's not a picture. It moves. <laughs> it's a moving picture. Is that what it is? Okay. The talkies, you know. Yeah, Sure. <laughs> uh, did you know it also that year it cleaned up at the Annie Awards? I mean, yeah. literally cleaned up. Yeah, it won practically everything. Yeah. Uh, and, and spawned a very unfortunate sequel, Mulan 2, that we will discuss in a separate program. <laughs> very did, did, did you know it's also, um, it's also got some other f- uh, firsts for Disney? I did not. Yes, it is, it's the first uh, Disney animated film to openly deal with warfare. Wow. Yes. Or did deal with it covertly? I don't know. Like, I like should... actually have warfare. <laughs> I think is what that means. What does it mean? No, that can't be true. Like, okay, animated, which one? Oh, animated, okay. Yeah, I said, I said animated, yep. Okay. It is the first Disney animated feature to uh, have an Asian heroine. That I, that, that I, I get, okay. All right. also, also, when it was released on DVD, it was Disney's first ever DVD release. Oh. That I did not know. Yes. Learn something new every day. It also has a record for Disney. Yes, they put out a record. Oh, wait, no, you meant a record. Go ahead. Yes, a record, yes. It has a soundtrack, yes, I agree. <laughs> Actually, this is one of my favorite Disney soundtracks, believe it or not. Is it? I love the music in this film. Oh, cool. I, I would agree. I actually quite enjoy the music. Cool. So anyway, here's the record. Ready? The largest Disney animated on-screen death toll. Oh, okay. I can believe that. Yeah, because they because they kill like almost two thousand Huns at once. Right. I have a question. Wouldn't Robin Hood and his merry men count as warfare? Mm, no, because they don't actually go into the warfare part of it during the. Okay. Like warfare means like as in like war itself. Okay. Not weapons. There are weapon. There is weapon fair in Robin Hood. I'll give you that. There's all kinds of fair. There, I, I think there is a right. fair in in Robin Hood. Yes, there's a fair fair. In fact, yeah. <laughs> there's lots of fair. <laughs> is what you're saying. But that that's a whole other film. We talked about Robin Hood already. So today we're talking about Mulan. Uh, Voiced in this one by Ming Na, uh, who or, or Ming Na Wen, as you may see in some some places, uh, she does a fantastic job as the voice of Mulan. Uh, Mulan is often, for whatever reason, and I, I can't really explain this, she is often included as one of the Disney princesses, even though there is nothing in the film that indicates that she's a princess. Yeah, I mean she's she's officially of that group, but I guess it's because. She did so well as a, you know, she's a female heroine. You know, they like their, they like that. Disney. It's true, they do. Yeah. Is Pocahontas a female? Is is Pocahontas a princess? Um, I believe she qualifies also. Yes. Okay. I was gonna say that. She she's an actual princess. Right. She is. She's a princess of the of the tribe. See, Mulan, I see, is more of a warrior. Indeed, I would. Yeah. Agree. Wait, wait. Here, here's the current official list. Okay. Snow White. Cinderella, 
Aurora, Ariel, Belle, Jasmine, Pocahontas, Mulan, Tiana, and Rapunzel. Um, also, we just added Merida, right? And uh, this year we're getting, um, I can't remember her name at this point, but the one who's going to be in the Frozen movie, yeah. mm-hmm. she's coming up. Anna. There we go. And doesn't, oh, I don't think Princess Leia counts technically, but. No. Not yet. For us, Not she yet. counts. For, for, for me, she counts. Somebody, <laughs> somebody start the petition. We'll get it going. There we go. Get the hashtag going, people. Right, right, yeah. now, right now, Tom is screaming at the roof of his car going, Todd stinks. <laughs> but, but to be fair, he does that most days anyway. He does, yes. And great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this, this one is uh, an, an intriguing mixture of, of production types because it is, is a film that is hand-drawn animation, for, for those of you who haven't seen it. And if you haven't, shame on you. You should. Uh, it also harkens back to, and most of the films that were produced in the in the Florida studio are like this, the production value that you saw in Bambi. When we did Bambi, if you remember, we talked about the the, back, the watercolored backgrounds that where things were intended to give the shape of an object and let your eye do the rest of the work. So you see a lot of those sorts of backgrounds in Mulan. Um, mountains, for example, you'll see, if you look very carefully, they're actually just watercolors of shapes. They're not, you know, well-defined line drawn mountains, those sorts of things. And that was to go along with the, the Chinese painting style that you'll see a few times in the movie. But there's also a ton of computer animation in this movie. So it's, it's an interesting mixture of hand drawn watercolor and, you know, computer animation all in, in, in one film that kind of melds very, very well together. In fact, on the computer front, they actually pioneered several things, in fact. Yeah, like three or four softwares, correct? Yeah, yeah, three or four softwares. I couldn't find two of the names, but uh, basically one thing was to handle the detailed work and have it flow in a manner that it didn't disrupt the backgrounds that you're talking about. Because uh, because when your computer – when you're using the computers to move the animation on top of the background, you don't want – if you move it too quickly, it could like brush and – you get that graininess almost like when you're watching your HDTV and it does that resin thing for a second. So the software was in order to avoid that. Um, the other thing was they wanted to do software that mimicked camera techniques that were coming into play at the time. Then they also made a special computer program named Attila, which handles that Hun scene that we were just talking about moments ago. Uh, the idea is because they had 2,000 Huns attacking at once, they had to um, have them do look different and act independently from each other so that's what this software controlled to have them like moving in different directions and sliding and you know coming down the mountainside differently so that's that's interesting and then what they did is in the imperial palace at the end they did two different things um one is that initially when you pan over the people there's three thousand people that's the same software okay and that software is called dynasty like I guess they just you know because it's Attila, Attila the Hun, right? The Huns are because attacking. Because Falcon was taken. No, like <laughs> no, like Chinese dynasty. Oh, okay. <laughs> and also at at the end when everybody's bowing to her, I know I'm really jumping ahead. No, please go ahead. But uh, at the end when everyone is bowing to her, that's actually real footage of people bowing. In, yeah, that was China. the one. That, that was the one that blew my mind. When I when I read about that, I'm like, to take that and make it into what you see in the film is is crazy. 
Yeah, so I, I, I was pretty impressed with that. This, and, you know, there's this is an interesting technique because it's usually you're going the other way with animation, right? It's not putting the real thing into the animation, but putting the animation into the real thing. So I thought that was a nice little touch. Very cool. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting that they took such different disparate um, mediums to mix them together to make this film, like I was saying. And they did so on, on something that's not traditional. Like, this is not a, a fairy tale. You know, it comes from, the story of Mulan comes from a poem uh, that, that it was a Chinese, I don't know if you call it legend, but I mean, it, it is a poem about a legend, I guess. It's, it's a about. poem about a legend. That's that's correct. The the poem in question is the Ballad of Mulan. Oh. Yeah, and uh, it's I can talk about it. Please do. Okay, cool. Uh, so in Chinese lore, uh, Hua Mulan, and we'll talk about Hua versus Fa in a second. It she's uh, not unlike the movie where she's found out while she's in the middle of you know doing her military stuff. I don't know. I'll describe what she's doing. And uh, she's not discovered the, her entire military career in the poem. Uh, that's actually the – it's got this clever line at the end where her friends go to see her but as, as the man that she was, and they find the woman, and she tells them, and she goes, we traveled for 12 years together yet didn't realize Milan was a lady. That's actually like one of the final lines of the poem. Yeah. So it's it's she did she was supposedly a real person. So it's it's you know every legend has some basis in truth, um, and because there's enough different um, dynasties that have carried different versions of this poem that uh, people generally speaking feel that she did exist. Maybe not as gloriously as the poem itself says. Indications are that she during her career she uh, had took great honors on the battlefield. That's why her men. You know, were so willing to go see her afterwards and stuff like that, and uh, but she took no rewards for any of that. She just retired into the countryside, kind of thing, and so that's just you know that's basically it. the The name why it's Hua Mulan is because that's the Mandarin. In the movie, they use the Cantonese, which is Fa, but the reason for that is actually not because of Cantonese versus Mandarin. It was just convenient. It's because they felt that Hua was too open for mispronunciation. Oh. Right? Okay. And, they, okay. figured that, and right. they figured that everybody understands Do, Re, Mi, Fa. Right? So that's why they went with that. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it works. It works in the movie, so yeah, I, can't, I can't say they well. didn't get it right. No, I agree. Totally. Yeah, and that's that's the crazy thing is that this is this was a movie that had a kind of a lot of origins. You know, it it was originally intended to be a a direct video film, uh, as as you remember, Disney was doing a lot of those at this time, some original, some not. And they actually were working with, and I, for, I forgive me if I mess the man's name up, but Robert Sansucci, uh, who's a children's book author, he was a consultant at the time, and suggested making a movie of the the Fa Mulan uh, or the Mulan poem. And they took this separate project they were working on about a, a Chinese girl basically becoming – marrying a Prince Charming and sort of merged that with the story of Mulan uh, to make a, a film. But they farmed it out, like I said, to the Orlando studio 
so if you, if you know anything about the history of Disney and animation at this point in the company history in, in the mid to early 90s, uh, you know, this is they were coming off of three huge successes with Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and The Lion King. And it was right after The Lion King that they said, oh, well, we want to start ramping up production and we want to start producing more movies. So when they had already set up the, the studio in Florida, uh, it was only producing shorts and some things like that. And this was the first feature that they said go ahead and do. And what was interesting is the people who ended up working on this, it's not your your normal uh, – if you, if you look through the, the credits of Disney animators – uh, in some of those other films that I mentioned, you're not going to see the same names, right? Because those guys are out in California. These guys are in Florida. So this group had almost complete autonomy because Jeffrey Katzenberg, quite frankly, didn't want to fly out to Florida that often <laughs> and and review what they were doing. So you see that with this film. And then um, if you see Lilo and Stitch, that film almost came as a surprise somewhat to even some of the Disney executives as to how quirky and funny it was. And I mentioned that because Chris Sanders, who worked on the screenplay for this, uh, eventually would go on to work on Lilo and Stitch. Cool. Yeah. So the the, the films that came out of the Orlando studio, it's it's just a shame that they came, they they shut it down because it was Mulan, Lilo and Stitch, and Brother Bear. Now, granted, we're not talking Aladdin or Lion King size hits, but I would say all of them to varying degrees, pretty quality films. Yeah. Also, um, all three rooted in legend, you know, very, very stock, very good, good meaty stuff for a movie, you know? Yeah. Well, and not, not your traditional fairy tales and different locales than we're used to seeing. Like there's none of them are European, right? These are all films set in, you know, tropical Hawaii or ancient China or Canada. You know, different different things than we're used to seeing from from Disney. Huh. hadn't thought about that. Yeah, it was it was a play. That's the thing that that troubled me about having that part of this of the animation department shut down is like this was the place where different ideas ended up happening because you know they and my guess this is just a guess on my part is that they were able to do them at a lower cost because they were in Florida and not in California. So it wasn't as much of a, you know, hey, we're going to spend all this money on development of these films. Now, I mean, the, the crew did travel to China for inspiration. They did the typical, you know, the Disney scouting trips that all of us are so jealous of. <laughs> uh, but it does seem like they were able to produce the, the film for, for a much lower cost, around $90 million than your, your, you know, your typical animated film. Uh, in California is probably 150 to 200 million dollars, depending on the, uh, the the year it was produced or how long it's been in production, those sorts of things. Yeah, and it's not like they didn't have a lot of people working on the film because there were approximately 700 people who worked on this film. Yeah, so That's right. yeah, it, it, and they did a good job with casting too. That you know, like I, I mentioned, Ming Na uh, Wen who uh, voices Mulan, uh, Eddie Murphy, of course, plays Mushu. Miguel Ferrer plays the main main villain. Sean Yu, Harvey Firestein plays one of the the uh, I don't know what you call them, the compatriots of, of Mulan, uh, and and Jake <laughs> and Pat Morita in, in some of the lesser roles as well. I, I just tend to refer to them as the boys. The boys, yes. <laughs> Yeah. Do, do you do you know uh, that 
Mushu almost wasn't it part of the movie. I did, but please, please go ahead and and, and tell everyone because it's it, an interesting thing. Yeah, well, it's it's I mean, it's not like a huge story. It's it's very simply put. Disney, um, when he pitched the story to them, he said he wanted a sidekick as a dragon, and Disney was like, "Well, a dragon? I don't know. You know, as a we've had big scary dragons on screen before, and now you're asking us to put, you know, a dragon in the movie, and we don't know that that's really going to work as a sidekick." Because we don't want it, sidekicks are supposed to be fun for the children. We don't want it to be scary. And he said, "Well, how about we just shrink them down?" Yeah. And and the, so they actually joke about that in the movie somewhat. Oh yeah, definitely. And the the other the other thing is, you know, uh, Eddie Murphy wasn't the original cast for for Mushu, which is almost unimaginable if you watch the film now, or if you go to you know the the animation studio place at uh, at Hollywood Studios. I've been blanking on the name. I believe it's called The Magic of Disney Animation. Yes, I think you are correct, sir. I think I think that's right. But can you imagine those those attractions or, or even watching this film or all the many places they've used Mushu since this came out and not having Eddie Murphy as the voice? Well we know that we didn't have Eddie Murphy's voice as as going to Mulan too. It, it, true. <laughs> but we had an Eddie Murphy the impersonator as the voice, so that was that was close. Uh, but but in this, they originally had intended it to be a little bit more musical, to have Mushu uh, have some songs. But once they got Eddie Murphy, they they decided against that and let him kind of take on that Robin Williams as the genie role of doing a little bit more improvisation and you know because adding some anachronisms and some contemporary lingo and those sorts of things and played it much more along those lines. Which I think works because the majority of the film is so serious that having him provide a lot of the humor uh, made it a little better. I also think that that gave them the opportunity to get Donny Osmond in for some of the songs yeah. as well. Yeah, Yay for Donny Osmond. Yay. They should have let him sing more in College Road Trip. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Did you know he's a little bit rock and roll? I did know that. Yes, uh, Donny Osmond sang. Uh, Ming-Na has had uh, someone sing for her, uh, Leah Salonga. So there, there's definitely songs in this. It's not musical in the same way that A Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, or, or The Lion King is. Uh, but it does have, what, six songs, I believe, total in the film. Um, all of them are quite short, though. Yeah, they feel longer when you when you think about them in your head. They feel longer than when you're actually watching them. They don't feel very long. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, that's they a very good way to put it. Yeah. So, let's talk about the the plot of this film because it is uh, a great setup. It's one of those it's one of those films that you can pitch. Uh, it, you can do the famed elevator pitch very easily, which is you know a daughter replaces her father in the Chinese army to protect China from the Huns. Right, like you can get you get the whole point of the movie right there, uh, a woman fighting in the ancient Chinese army, and it's it's pretty simple to understand. But there's a lot that goes into building the characters. Which, when I watched it again this time, and I own it and have watched it many times. When I watched it again this time, I was watching it more with a critical eye, uh, the way that we do, because you know we are film critics of our own making. And the fact the storytelling in this is pretty outstanding because 
from the opening shot, you are you you establish what the threat is, uh, what the external threat is for all of China, because the opening of the film is Shan Yu of the Huns storming the Great Wall of China. And I mean, how else can you get across instantly setting uh, villainy and the fact that this guy's a threat by having him overrun the Great Wall of China? I thought, like, from an economy of storytelling, it's just an amazing way to start the film. Yeah, I, I also like the, the visual of just the guys on the wall because that was really you know what we're always told uh, in history class occurred on the Great Walls. They had men who patrolling the wall. That's why that you can actually walk on it. Right. And to see people just throw grappling hooks up the side and just kind of climb up over it, and it's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, it get, it gets across right away that you know this is this is a something to be reckoned with because, like you said, you know, we're always taught, oh, the Great Wall—that's what kept people out of China. Well, it's not working in this particular instance. <laughs> well, the Great Wall itself wasn't even. I mean, historically, it's not really one wall; it's several walls that were built and joined together, and it's not even complete right true enough okay i'm not sure if anybody else realized i think it's like seven total walls or something like that but it's still it's it's just a neat you know it's a neat concept uh, you the it's got the myth about it where it's the only object you can see from space which isn't true but there there it is um yeah. the the bad guy sean Yu. yes right now i i I'm trying to think. It's not actually this initial scene where they where they mention his name. It's not. It's like a few scenes later, but his mm-hmm. name is kind of interesting because they're playing a game with names. Disney. They're playing a name game. They're playing a name game. You know why? Because um, Sean Yu is not really a name. It's uh, it's actually a title. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the the Chinese nomads who are known as who called themselves the Huns. Okay. By the way, because in their language, Hun just means human or person, so right. they were the Huns. Um, Shan Yu was the was the t- the leader t- role. Ah, okay, okay. So this could this could be just any generic leader, and he's that's, just known that's, as Shan Yu. Right. Well, they actually name him. He actually has a name in in the movie, but that's that that name comes from that title. Okay. In this case. Got it. Okay. Makes yeah. sense. But so we, we get the fact that the Huns are invading China. Uh, we flash over to the emperor who says that you know we need to mobilize more forces to defend China. So he he sends out his advisor to give every family a conscription notice, saying that one man from each family will have to join the army. Um, we then get to meet Mulan. So we have established the overall threat of what is happening in the film. Uh, you know, in in the general populace of China, we then get to meet Mulan, who is a bit of a screw up, to put things mildly, because she's being asked to fulfill the typical daughter role on her family's—I I don't know if you call it a farm—but uh, on her family's household or or stake of land, where you know she's feeding the chickens and does so in a very interesting way with her dog. <laughs> um, she's trying to take care of that she's also getting ready to be sent to the matchmaker so that she can marry and therefore bring her family honor which according to everyone in the film that's the only way that she would be able to bring her family honor or that any woman would bring her family honor is to marry properly um, <laughs> and she obviously 
through the great comedic steps that that happen uh, is not exactly keen on this, nor is she really cut out for it. Yes, and I think what's what's interesting is she's not the only one who realizes this. Her family realizes this too. Yes, <laughs> I, I I think that's what I find comical it, it's just like everybody's like why are they even going through the motion if they know the motion isn't even worth it well t- to be fair it is ancient china they were all about the rituals and the motion it's, so yeah it's societetical at that point i i i get that yes they they sing a whole song uh the first song in the movie here about uh how trying to get mulan ready uh, of how she's going to bring her family honor, and uh, her grandmother tries to help and gets her a lucky cricket to go with her. Uh, Mulan has written the answers on her arm in she, ink. I have. She gives her more than a cricket, a pendant for balance, which was a yin yang symbol that she just kind of tucks in the belt there. Uh, beads of jade for beauty, right? And then the cricket, right. it, then the cricket underneath her skirt. There, I don't understand that. I don't think anybody does except to give her Cricky, the cricket character that accompanies her throughout the whole film. Well, well, in China, a cricket is actually a symbol for luck. So they're, they're actually playing into that from a, you know, a writing perspective. But uh, it's still awkward. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Yes, very awkward. Uh, it doesn't go well, I think we could say. Safely, uh, Mulan has it's it's almost a Chaplin sort of bumbling. I don't know. I don't know how, what you'd call it. It's a slapstick comedy sort of bumbling that causes her to you know knock over the matchmaker. The cricket gets into the tea. The matchmaker gets on fire. It's it's one thing after another uh, that that causes things to go terrible and uh, send Mulan packing back to the back to her home. Uh, where her father is extremely disappointed because he'd been praying to the ancestors all morning that she would do well, uh, and it didn't work out for her. They didn't come through. One of the um, ladies doing the makeover on her is actually done in the likeness of Rita Hassau, who wrote the screenplay. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's cool. I like that. Yeah, she throws a few more things in later on, which I'll just you know mention when they come up. Cool. So it's it's with that background where we've learned of the fact that Mulan is not who she feels she should be, that she sings kind of her theme song, the Reflection Song, uh, which ended up later being redone for the soundtrack by Christina Aguilera, which was her first, her first music venture and led to her debut album, getting a contract with RCA. So this, this came first, even though this appears on her first album. Wait, wasn't wasn't she in the Mickey Mouse Club first though? Yes, but she didn't have a recording. But <laughs> still, <laughs> they enough. knew. They knew about her. This is true, very true. But you didn't see Britney Spears singing any songs at Disney animated movies, now, did you? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Should have. Would have made it a big hit. I'm just saying. But anyway, moving on. Uh, Mulan sings her song, and the whole theme of of her character. Uh, that is revealed very well through reflection is that the person she sees or that she, when she looks in the mirror is not the person she feels like she really is. Uh, I, I liken it a lot to it's, it's almost identical in my mind to somewhere over the rainbow in the original wizard of Oz film. Right. Yeah. There's 
big screw up. There's this big mix up. And right before things go haywire, the main character stops and reflects on the fact that what she's got is not necessarily what she wants. Right. I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. You know all way to me for some reason. You know all the writing all over all the ancestral tablets. Yes. That's that's all the names of the people who worked on the movie written out in like you know hard for, you know phonetic Chinese. Oh, cool. That's, cool. that's really cool. I like it. I like it. Well, probably not all the people, but you know some because there's really yeah, not that many, many tablets. Yeah, so <laughs> have seven hundred tablets in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but this is this is when the whole construction thing comes into play, right? Because the the emperor's advisor rides into town and says that one man from every family will be needed to fight for China. Mulan's father steps forward, and Mulan actually has to step in and say, "No, he's going to die. He's an old man. He's already fought. I mean, because he limps, he has a cane, he's been injured, obviously in battle before, uh, but he turns her away and you know accepts the conscription. And it's that night that Mulan that things get you know, jumped into motion that Mulan steals his conscription, his armor, and rides off uh, with her horse. Again, another horse. I'm just saying, Disney horses, it should be a line. Khan. Khan is awesome. Yes, he is. I, 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 it's just, like I said, we say this a million times, is the Disney horses just rock. They really do. Yeah. They really they do. Should, should and, listen and by, to by, it. by the way, what was up with that Karate Kid style music when she was cutting her hair? <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. It's crazy. The that's the funny thing about this is like you were saying, Bree. This is your favorite, one of your favorite soundtracks. The score, however, at places in the movie is a little too contemporary. I yes, I completely agree with that. Yeah, but I that, think they had they use like like regular Chinese. I don't know. I don't think it would have been played well. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like Ralph Macchio should have just like jumped in from behind or something, like an animated yes. version. Of yeah. Yes. Let's let's be thankful that Ralph Macchio was not Shang and move on. <laughs> this, this is a good point. This is a very very valid point. There, there, there's two things I wanted to mention. One, on the off chance that someone is listening to this and not having seen the movie, is that a conscription means compulsory enlistment in a military organization. Just so. Well, you already spoiled the movie, Todd. So. But that doesn't mean that they haven't seen it, right? So that they ha- they could potentially not have seen it and been listening. I'm just trying to be nice. Um, <laughs> he tries, Cheryl. Yeah. It's just going. Keep going. The, the, the names of the people that are uh, mentioned during, conscri- during the conscription letter handouts are actually the, uh, gro- the family names of uh, the friends of Rita Hassau when she was growing up. Oh, cool. So, oh. Except for Fa, which we already discussed. Correct. Yep. So a needle pulling thread. Yep. So when the next that evening, as Mulan has left, her grandmother wakes up and and sees that uh, she's gone. And we then the next morning flash to the ancestors. So here's where, like, to this point, if you've been watching the movie, this is probably what the first twenty minutes, I would say. Yeah, it's longer than every time I watch it. I always think it takes longer to get to this point than I thought it did the last time I watched it. Yeah. The, the, but the first part of the movie, even with the slapstick comedy of Mulan and the matchmaker, it's still fairly serious. 
uh, in tone, especially because it's so much about her and her her personal journey and how she's disappointed her father. And there's no real. It's it's very realistic. It's very grounded, even with the craziness uh, that she goes through with the matchmaker. It's all physical comedy, and it's when Mushu comes into into things where the ancestor, the ghost of the ancestors, summons Mushu to wake everybody up. And Mushu is a little tiny dragon who used to be one of the protectors of the Fa family, and he got demoted for reasons that uh, we we find out because he didn't do a great job protecting and got one of the ancestors beheaded. Uh, it it ends up that he is now just sort of summoning all the ancestors, and he has to summon everybody, wake them up. They have a little council about what to do about Mulan. Mushu, you know, of course, volunteers to help out, and they ignore him and decide that they're going to wake the Great Stone Dragon. So there's this giant dragon sculpture in the yard. He's supposed to go wake up the Great Stone Dragon. He goes out to do that and ends up breaking the Great Stone Dragon. Well, the <laughs> dragon wasn't waking up. That's this is a true point. It was it was pretty well asleep, I guess. Who knows? I don't think he was. I think he, the Grinstone Dragon, probably retired and forgot to tell the ancestors. I, it could be. Did Did you catch the little hidden thing during the ancestral debate? Besides the headless guy. Besides <laughs> the headless guy, no. Yeah. Uh, if you If you watch it really quick, there's a farmer and his wife, and they're like the farmer and the wife from American Gothic picture that's very famous. Oh, yeah. yes, I did catch that. Yeah, yeah. and the voice, uh, who, the voice actor is Barry Cook, who is the director of the movie. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. But my, my point being, is, you know, the, the Great Stone Dragon doesn't wake up. Mushu, you know, springs to the rescue, pretends that the Great Stone Dragon is, has woken up, and ends up telling, you know, the ancestor, oh, yes, it's I, the Great Stone Dragon, I'm going to fix everything, and, you know, pretends, and then goes off to go and try to protect Mulan himself. My point being, we go from this completely grounded and realistic scenario to this completely fanciful and unrealistic scenario of the ghosts and the dragons and the waking up and the thing and the such and the thing. And it's, it's for me, watching it this time, it was almost whiplash because I was so invested in Mulan's character. I mean, it works, but it's, it's definitely a big transition in the film. Yeah. I don't like how the ancestors. I do. Although it's quite funny, I really didn't like how the ancestors argue and blame one each other about Mulan. It's like really you have to blame somebody. That's true. Why? Why? Why all the hate, Cheryl? I agree with you. I agree. Well, it's not like they can exactly kill each other. Okay, that's a fair point. True. Just saying. Yeah, it's true. It's true. But it, it's 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 just interesting. I mean, you know, there's no, it's not a ton of um, films I can think of off the top of my head that that take that sort of left turn. You know what I mean? Like it's it, that first portion of the film, like you said, time's a little longer than you expect it to be, and then it takes this left turn where Mulan is run away and it's very serious, and then we have this this great comedic stuff with Eddie Murphy and the the supernatural. Uh, and it, and the rest of the film, sort of, with the exception of Mushu being around as the sidekick, plays out much more in the realistic frame of things. There's not a lot of you know summoning of ghosts or ancestors uh, in the rest of the movie. Well, do you, do you think that the reason is to make uh, Mushu be so silly is to offset 
the seriousness, you know, because since it's a Chinese movie, the yin yang thing. Oh yeah, I absolutely do. I, I I think that's exactly what it is. It's just it's interesting that it comes from that place of the like the non realistic supernatural. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. It's just it's just weird. It's a, it's a, it's a it's a it's a step in a different direction that they don't really kind of go that whole way down the direction. It's but it, it's good because it gives us Mushu, which like you said offsets all the seriousness. Because when Mulan arrives at the camp. I mean, things are deadly serious, right? The uh, Shang, who has who's being appointed as captain by his father, the general, is taking over all the warriors who've been conscripted, and you know he's being told that you're going to have to train these men, and I'm going to go and try to destroy the Huns on my own, and you'll be our backup. And Mulan, if she gets caught, she will be killed. That's the penalty for for a woman trying to enter the army. Yeah, well, that's 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 actually the whole reason why her parents don't go after her. Exactly, that's a good point. That's a good point because her father says if she's discovered by me going after her, then you know she's already dead. Right. Well, and before she even enters the camp, she's having doubts, which is when Mushu finds her. Yes, before she enters the camp, however, you know this is when Mushu does his big appearance and and shows up to her. Uh, breathing fire and or having lit a fire and shows up to her as a giant shadow uh, and preaches the gospel basically to her <laughs> uh, of why she, he is so important to her and protecting her. And uh, she is somewhat skeptical, as you would imagine, by seeing a tiny little lizard-like dragon, which he <laughs> makes a point of saying he is not. <laughs> I, I like that... They, he points out also that he's indestructible, and then they demonstrate it by having Khan stomp all over him, and then he pops back up. Correct. <laughs> I like the fact that he keeps calling Khan a cow. <laughs> <laughs> he's a little he's a little confused. And he does, in fact, as they are getting ready to go into the camp, say, "Come on, heifer," to the to the horse. Yeah, yeah. Which are, which reminded me of Sally. Yes. Which my wife probably says on three or four times a day to my own daughter. So <laughs> it, it did did make me chuckle. But yes, when they get in the camp, of course, uh, Shang has been appointed captain. Uh, we meet Yao, Ling, and Chen Po, the boys, as Todd referred to them earlier. I believe you have to say that with a long Z. Boys. The boys. Yes. <laughs> uh, who, who don't take kindly to Mulan. Because she ends up trying to make friends, and the way that Mushu tells her to make friends is to punch people. And that doesn't work out so well. Um, because she starts a fight throughout the entire camp, knocks over all the food, and Shang makes them pick up every grain of rice. Which you, it is hard enough with chopsticks, but with your bare fingers, I imagine it's not very easy to do. Mm. Although, probably Chen Po just ate it all. That's indeed possible. And the grass and everything else around it. Mm-hmm. It did look well mowed. It did. This is very true. Uh, this, of course, leads us to uh, Mulan showing up the next morning and, and Shang sort of setting down the rules of how everyone's worthless and, you know, your general drill sergeant routine that you see in any sort of, well, you know, I want to bring you know? one, pe- one feature forward. That, uh, well, they discussed, Shang and, Shang and the advisor had Chen. discussed... Um, what what the plan was that you know the troops were going to stay and learn and and 
and the father's troops were going to go. Correct. Yeah. And, and then and then Mulan wakes up, um, and and Mushu would say, "Wait, the tr- the troops are leaving." Or someone, some one of the animals Con, had said. Khan actually pointed out. Yes. yes. And then that's what gets her to go to camp. Yes, but I think what they, yeah, I I caught that too because I think they didn't actually go anywhere, did they? They they were just lined up outside the front no, of the, the camp. No, the troops actually went to the pass. The, the, well, the troops town. did, yeah, General, yes. but that happened the day before. This is the next morning, and I I don't follow. That's one point in the movie I don't follow either. Is they're not really like lined up or doing anything yet. They're just kind of there being rowdy because he hasn't started whipping them into shape yet. Right? right, and she comes up upon them, but she's not um, she's not missing anything. They imply like like she's going to have to be running after them, and they've you know gone on some mission already, and they haven't. They're just there to learn. I guess I got confused. No, it's a confused. No, you're right. It's it the. It's it's a cute little scene where the horse talks and every and everyone but her understands it and Mushu translates for her. But at the same time, it's the line that they use is confusing. Like something maybe was cut out. Who knows? Yeah, no, I agree with you. It doesn't make any sense. But this leads to the whole to the training montage sequence, right? Because. Shang shows them several different things that they need to do. Um, he fires an arrow into the top of a pole and asks them all to climb up and get it, and gives them two weights to wear around their hands. So one, they, they're both dangling from straps, and no one can get the, the the arrow. And he spends the next part singing the song Donny Osmond is singing, rather, uh, I'll Make a Man Out of You. And this is where the training montage comes in. I'll Make a Man Out of You was actually the one song from this film that I memorized first. I think by the time I was, this came out when I was nine. I think by the time I was, you know, ten, because I didn't see it until the previous year, I had the whole thing memorized, and I still do. (laughs) I love it. I just love that song. I don't know why. I just do. No, I like it, too. It's a good song. It very much is. I agree. It, it's. I also like it because it's not just them singing, but like there's this point where, um, it, as part of the lyrics, he's telling her to get out of the training, you know. And I kind of like that it's, it's acting and singing at the same time. Yes, I love that about it. Maybe that's why too. I just kind of clicked with it. I don't know. Well, and it, I like the fact that it, unlike some of the other um, films that we've seen from Disney, where they try to incorporate music when they don't really need to. The, the music here is actually moving the story forward because the training montage is not exactly something that uh, is, is all that compelling without, you know, without going forward and, and doing this. So it, it moves things forward so that we see that he is making a man out of them. Uh, and we get to the point where he tells Mulan she has to leave. And it's then that Mulan herself figures out that if you take the two weights and sling them together, you can use them as a strap to get to the top of the pole and gets the arrow down. And she throws the arrow down to Shang, and that's the that's the the moment that he sees that she could be allowed to stay, that she can be okay. Yeah, Donny Osmond. I mean, I think this is actually the first song that Donny Osmond actually sings in the movie, right? I believe so. Yes. Okay. Um, he he actually always goes on talk shows, and he when he talks about 
this role, he always mentions the story that his kid didn't believe he'd made it in show business until he was in a Disney movie. I, I think that's true. What's, what's, what's not true about that? No, I agree. But no, wait a minute. He is a little bit rock and roll. But um, he, he, he is at that. This is true. But, um, but we also have to talk about um, the fact that um, I believe it was I, I forget who had this interview. It was Darnie or Marie that one of them said Walt had actually seen them and and scoped them and and oh, it, they were it, they were some of their success to Walt. It, it it's Donnie. It was actually um, Walt who got the Osmond brothers, of which Donnie was not a member of at the time. Uh, their their first gig on um, I can't remember the guy's talk show off the top of my head, but it, it was Walt who introduced them and got them that first gig and basically started their career for them. Cool. Yeah. So it's at this point that they're trying to figure out, you, you know, they, they're finally getting the army whipped into shape. And, uh, but the, but the notification is that, you know, as Cheryl mentioned earlier, is that they're supposed to stay behind. They're not supposed to actually go anywhere. Uh, and that of course is not going to work for Mushu who needs to make sure that, you know, Mulan is a war hero for him to be able to go back to the ancestors and do things properly. So he actually comes up with a clever scheme to craft a note uh, to leave with with Shang to to tell him, you know, this is what we're going to do, and it, and pretend that it's from his father, and that they're going to be able to to get, they're going to go to the front and you know go fight the Huns. Um, th- th- does anyone else like this? Seems like a very bad idea, especially when you deliver a note via a cow. <laughs> It was a cow. It was a panda. It was a, panda. It was a giant panda. And you know what? I I paused the movie at this point, and I said, "Excuse me, sure, I'll have to look something up." And I'm trying to figure out: Did they ever actually use pandas as mounts? <laughs> because I'm like, I mean, it's it's awkward looking to begin with. I know I've seen it in video games, right? But I don't know that it was ever done, and I couldn't find anything about it. So I'm assuming it was it wasn't so that it the and. They just make this off-color comment about it and then kind of move on. It, I, it's, but the, I had to actually stop and look it up because I was like, really? Yeah. It yeah, it's, it's, it's rather awkward, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's rather awkward. But it works, right? It gets, it gets them on the move. Um, they go through the through the mountain pass where uh, Shang's father, General Lee, had been, and when they arrive, they see a giant camp or a town where the Huns have basically destroyed the entire Chinese army, or at least this portion of it. And as they're leaving the mountains, you know, they they search for survivors, but they're not able to do to to find any. And it's as they're leaving the mountains, Mushu apparently cannot keep out of trouble. And accidentally lights one of the rocket cannons, which is, as Todd mentioned earlier, a firework with a dragon head on it. And it shoots off and give, and blows up and gives away their position. And 2,000 Huns come you know, out to reveal themselves and out to play. And we get the first battle between the Huns and the Chinese army, which apparently Shang's army is full of anywhere from four to seven people at any given time. 
Well, except for that moment when they're singing the song beforehand and carrying them all on their shoulders, and there's like 50 guys who are all gone. Yeah, when the, when they when the fighting begins, there's really like what four of them. Yeah, if that, I, it's hard to tell. There's the horse. <laughs> there's there's the boys, which is three, plus well, horse, you know, horse, and then there's Shang and horse. Ping Mulan, right? And then there's other people who I guess I'll get washed out by the what happens. Yes, because Mulan and. and Mulan can tell quickly that they are outnumbered, and she goes and steals their firing cannons at the Huns, you know, over the hills, and, and nothing's really doing any good. So Mulan steals one of the cannons, the last cannon, runs to the middle, uh, and is told by Shang to shoot Shan Yu directly because that's the way that um, they could they could cripple them, you know, hit their leader. Instead. She shoots the cannon into the mountain, and a wall of snow falls over and washes over the Huns, basically destroying them all, as we said earlier on. And gives them a little time to breathe and almost destroys the Chinese army as well. Before we go too far in the future, I wanted to go back a little bit because we didn't really get to go back. <laughs> I rewound. That was great. So, uh, um, what you were doing there. Okay. All right. So one of the things that I I enjoyed was was um, the bad guy teaching his his guys like NCAAS stuff because he was having them analyze this little doll and fun forensics <laughs> teaching yeah teaching forensics. <laughs> I had never thought of that, but I guess that's what he's doing. It's just the the doll, and he's having them sniff the doll and tell, asking them to tell him what they're what they smell, you know. And they're like, "I smell the mountains. I smell pine." You know, it's like I smell gunpowder. Right. <laughs> it's true. I had thought of it that way. You're right, Cheryl. I just thought it was. I just thought it was. It was a weird way of putting that in. Um, I also thought that um, it was kind of fortunate for them that they did move along because otherwise they would have never found out that Shang's father had died. I wonder how they would have found that one out. This is very true. In, had they never moved on, had they not found the dad, they would have never been anywhere near the city to save the city. I mean, there's all sorts of, you know, fortunate luck. It's the cricket. It is. It is the cricket. Has to be, yeah. When in doubt, lay blame on the cricket, <laughs> or credit in this case. I just like blame. Okay, all right. Blame the cricket if you need to. Uh, in the process, though, uh, Mulan is injured. Right? She she rescues Shang. Uh, she manages to Khan and Mulan manage to keep him from falling over the side of the mountain. And in in what I would call a Timothy Dalton James Bond unrealistic way. Okay, I had a question about this. Yes, please. And I always have the same question. So I get her actually getting the arrow. I was, I, I was okay with that. But then she's on the horse and falling. And I get that heavy things don't fall faster than light things. I understand my physics. Uh-huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. But she manages to shoot the arrow. Right. They, they manage to catch the arrow. And somehow in all that, she manages to tie the the rope to the horse's harness? Yes. 
while shooting the bow. Right. Okay, yeah. I don't know what you don't understand. No, I, I apparently I don't know what I don't understand either. <laughs> did, did, did anyone um, did anyone think Hawkeye and the Avengers when when watching this this time? Yes. It was pretty impressive. I I was thinking it was the exact same thing. Oh, you mean the one where he jumps off the building and does that, like, falling down with the arrow up in the air that lasts for a good 90 seconds? Yes. Sorry. You missed it. I was... I mean, mean, like, the shot of her shooting the arrow up for everyone to catch looks almost exactly like this. Yeah. I wonder if, like, anybody out there who wants to mix them side by side for us in a video, that would be awesome. (laughs) Or just a still, even. Oh my god, that would be amazing. Really Telling you. It could be a swipe. Yep. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> but in in the process, of course, Mulan gets injured. Um, Shan Yu strikes her with his sword. And so when Shang takes her to the doctor, uh, the doctor is apparently observant enough to figure out that she's a woman. So, good doctor. Uh, bad for Mulan. Because, as we mentioned, being a woman in the army is cause for death. Shang spares her life because she saved his. Uh, but he leaves her on the mountain basically to die while he goes off to the city. And she is getting ready to go home. You know, Mushu's all depressed because, you know, he's failed, she's failed. And as they are getting ready to leave, they hear the Huns crawl out of the snow and it's she realizes that they are headed on their way to the city to capture the emperor. That's a and creepy scene. Very. Yeah. It's like, okay, so we were assuming they're dead, and all of a sudden they're, like, coming back to life from the snow. It's yeah. Yeah. Well, well, to be fair, Mushu also points that out in the movie. He goes, he goes Huns rose from the snow. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <He does. laughs> That's true. <laughs> he does do that. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it, it is creepy. And it, it's interesting because, like, the emotional uh, heft, because they've already sort of implied that Mulan's falling for Shang. So the emotional resonance there of this, like, this is the dark darkness before the dawn moment that you get in every movie uh, or, or any good movie that's invested in storytelling that moment between her and Shang is so powerful. And then the moments of her sitting there, even with Mushu trying to lighten things up of her realizing, you know, that she's failed and all that are, are so powerful. Um, it, it's just for me, like when it gets to the city, it actually takes some of the emotional resonance out of it because she goes down to the city. She tries to warn Shang and he says, no, of course. And refuses to listen to her because she lied to him. But they're being celebrated as the heroes of China for defeating the Huns, and none of them are really, you know, all that enthused about it because they realize they didn't actually do it. It was her. Uh, and so as Shang is getting ready to turn over Shan Yu's sword to the emperor, basically signifying that, you know, uh, safety is here, uh, the falcon, the peregrine falcon of Shan Yu, I don't know what the falcon's name is. I don't know what the falcon's name is either, actually. Yes. I do know it's a peregrine falcon because my son is studying those in school, and he informed me of that about 600 times while we were watching the movie. They, but they don't show the coolest thing that a peregrine falcon does. Which is? Which is how it can fall at like 220 miles per hour and knock something dead with its head. Woo! That's amazing. That's, that's how it hunts. 
That is intense. Yeah. I'll let you talk to my son after this about Peregrine Falcons for like three hours because that's what he would want to do. <laughs> I'm going to get coffee. Okay. All right. Well, then you'll be awake to talk. I'll go to bed and you can talk to him about Peregrine Falcons. But anyway, the, the Peregrine Falcon picks up the sword, takes it to Sean Yu, who's on the roof of the palace, and they capture the emperor. And it gets rather complex and silly at that point as Mulan manages to, to rally everyone to save the emperor. She gets the boys to pose as concubines to enter the palace. Ugly concubines, even by Hun standards, apparently. I also like that that doesn't actually hold the Huns back. No, it does not. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're still interested. Uh, but they, they managed to enter the palace using the trick from the, the pole and the arrow of taking their sashes and shimmying up the pole that way. Um, Shang goes in and prevents Shan Yu from killing the emperor because the emperor refuses to yield. While uh, Yao, Ling, and Chen Po get the emperor out. And it, it's at that point that uh, Shang is, is sort of hurt, and Mulan has to take on Shan Yu by himself. And she manages to run away, mostly, uh, until she gets him into a situation where he's out exposed on a, on a rooftop uh, and manages to convince Mushu to fire fireworks at him. Fireworks plays a big part in this, which it surprises me that they they never did a Mulan fireworks show. Oh, uh, Interesting. And now with the Oz stuff, maybe they do like a mixed thing. Yeah, it would be cool. They can yeah. show like Oz's face in this deep this whole Oh my gosh, we just made the best fireworks show ever. Yeah, we, we did. did. <laughs> <laughs> TM symbol, Disney. Come get Watch it. me, people in the park. <laughs> yes. And you know what? That would either excite people or terrify them. True, true enough. But yes, the fireworks destroy Shan Yu, and the Emperor, in, in a great little bit of comedy, uh, says, you know, I've heard a lot about you, Fa Mulan. You know, you have destroyed my palace. You posed as a soldier in the Chinese army and did all these horrible things. Uh, but then he finishes with, and you've saved us all. And that's the scene we were talking about at the beginning, where everyone bows to her, including the Emperor. Yes. Which is cool, because when he's having the argument with Shan Yu earlier, he says, I... I don't bow, basically, you know. Yes. <laughs> nice try, but not happening. And then he does it for her, which had he been alive, that would have been a huge insult, I thought. So that's kind of cool. Um, there's some nifty little things in here, like um, when they do the Batman and Robin thing, right? Yes, please uh, explain what the Batman and Robin yes. thing is so she, for, for our younger listeners like Bree. The Batman and Robin thing with Michael Keaton where B Michael Keaton goes, I'm Batman, right? So they kind of sort of do a play on that with uh, Mushu and the cricket when they go to get the fireworks for Milan to you know, get Sean Yu with. Mm -hmm. And uh, when they do that, the two guys that they scare off are actually the likenesses of the two directors, Tony Bancroft and Barry Cook. Oh. I did not know that. Those two guys who jump out. Um, it, it's pretty common in Disney movies. You're always the, the directors are always somewhere in the movie. So that's, that's a spot there. Um, also, she uses like an actual martial arts technique with the fan. Now, a lot of, cause a lot of people probably think that's kind of silly that she managed to disarm him with his sword with the, the fan. But if you watch enough kung fu movies, you know that that fan martial arts is actually like a real thing. Indeed it is. Okay, and uh, 
this that disarming someone's sword with a fan is actually a real deal thing. So it's kind of cool that they worked it into the movie. Awesome. Yeah. Also, the big, huge firework that they fire at Shan Yu at the end. It has two things written on the side of it. One is um, a Chinese for the big bamboo, which I'll talk about in a second. And the second one is a word that says danger on it. <laughs> okay. Okay. So now the big bamboo was this um, place that when the Disney Studios was open down here, they all the people who worked there used to go after work. It was a bar in Kissimmee. Which doesn't exist anymore, by the way, because it was uh, destroyed by the – well, it was, it was damaged in the 2004 hurricanes, and then it burned down in 2005, sadly. Aww. Yeah, but that's their homage to the big bamboo. Very interesting, yes. Uh, it ends up being that the Emperor asks uh, Mulan to be an advisor. She declines, um, and he gives her his crest and Shan Yu's sword uh, to take home to her father to show that she has brought honor to the Fa family and, and all of China. And she did offer her the other guy's job, which I thought was funny. Yes. <laughs> Poor Chifu. Not really. Yes. I don't have any... Feelings of sorrow for Chifu. No, you're not. You're not, not sorry for Chifu. I can understand that. Uh, when she does get home, she does show her father uh, the the items to show that you know she has brought honor to the family. But it, it's it's one of those things that like my wife cries every time because her father just throws those things to the side and hugs her and says the biggest honor is having you as a daughter. Um, and she says it's just a father daughter thing. Is that is that right, Bree? Pretty much. Yeah, I do it's, like how the emperor plays matchmaker. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> yes, uh, because before before Shang before Mulan leaves, he tells Shang, you know, hey, a girl like that doesn't come along every dynasty. <laughs> yes, and so well, well first he tries to be at Mulan's. He tries to be coy about it at first, it's like he gives this like he goes, the flower that blooms in adversity is the most rare and beautiful of all. Right, and then he goes, no, 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 go, get going. Yes, which he does. He shows he up does. at, yep, shows up there and uh, asks with some flimsy excuse as to what he's going to do. You know, like Mulan forgot her helmet or whatever, uh, and and manages to actually uh, stay for dinner and, and leads into the very unfortunate Mulan too. But we'll talk about that in a separate episode. <laughs> But Mushu becomes a guardian again. Yes, and Mushu is appointed a guardian again, which apparently fuels a Stevie Wonder song, which I didn't realize that they had Stevie Wonder in ancient China. You never uh, know. <laughs> oh my goodness. Are you speaking of True to Your Heart? Yes. Love the song. Not sure why it's in ancient China. I don't know either. But yeah, that was when 98 Degrees were popular. And I absolutely adored them. And when that song came out, oh my goodness, that was my jam. <laughs> I can see you doing your, the little shoulder dance thing, you know what you. That's exactly what I did. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I, I believe it. I do have one quick mention, which is our Star Wars connection. At least the one I found is the cricket. 
Oh, whoa, whoa, you're telling me the cricket was in Star Wars? No wonder that movie did so well. The voice of the cricket was in Star Wars. And maybe, yes, maybe he was in Star Wars. Maybe that's why they're all so lucky. Lucky he stars? Was, he was, maybe he was advising R2-D2. <laughs> Interesting. Um, I st- also, I still think we're marked madness during this, but if not, I'm going to plug the Star Wars bracket from March Madness. I really am enjoying that. Yeah, it's it's clever, Ryan, because I don't know if you looked at it, but instead of picking everything up front, you kind of vote at each level. Alright. Uh, but yes, that's that's how that's how Mulan ends. And I think, for me, um, the storytelling in this is the strongest point uh, because storytelling is such a big part of the way Disney told uh, films in this this sort of mid '90s to late '90s era, and sometimes they got ahead of themselves and you know went for other things. And I think Mushu's a little bit of a, you know, it, although it works in the film, it's not the strongest storytelling. Like they could have made an epic sort of film, and they they kind of went for the the clever you know animal sidekick thing, the stereotype of what people think when they think of Disney movies. But on the whole, I think it works pretty well. Um, and it's definitely one of the most underrated films, to me, at least. So with that, uh, we can we can rate Mulan. Uh, so I'll, I'll let Brie go first, since I know I know she's been eagerly awaiting this moment. <laughs> I have been. I have to say, I agree with Ryan that this is a completely underrated film. This is one of my absolute favorites. I just think it's beautiful. It's not slow-moving. I don't think there's any draggy parts where you just sit there and say, okay, when are we going to get past this? Um, the songs, I think, go by pretty quickly. I actually wish some of them would be longer. Um, I thought uh, Mulan's scene where she sings Reflection was far too short for such a powerful song. But um, I absolutely adore this film. All the characters are just... The voice actors were fantastic. I just, I'm obsessed. Um, and I don't think that this received enough recognition, and I almost wish that they would re-release this. Like, I don't know, maybe not in 3D, but just re-release it in theaters because I just feel like maybe it would bring back some of its short-lived popularity again. Um, I am going to give this one four and a half. This isn't like Little Mermaid status for me, but... Um, it's very, very close. So I'm going to give this a solid four and a half. Wow. High number. All right, Cheryl? Well, I would probably be killed if I don't give this a high number. Although I do really love this movie anyway. So I'm already going to give it, um, I think, a 4.25. Nice. All right, Todd? Well, uh, for starters, uh, Mulan is my favorite of the princesses, especially because she's a non-princess. There you go, you princess, non-princess folks. Um, There you go. And uh, I agree. I think that this is a really good, solid story. I think it's told very well. It's got a few weird points, but I don't think that they detract greatly from the movie. And of the 90s movies, it's one of my two favorites. So um, for me, it's a four and a half. Yay. Nice. Uh, I, w- I will give it a solid four. I like Mushu. I just think, like, for some reason, he seems like he's from a different movie. Uh, but I think it works to set up the comedy. It's just it, it, they, they took something that could have been, you know, hugely epic, but uh, I think it still works very, very well. So uh, I will give it a solid four. 
Did you see those Huns? They popped out of the snow like daisies. I'm travel-sized for your convenience. Would you like to stay for dinner? My little baby's all grown up and is saving China. <laughs>